you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Come on! Uh, Get in there, Maverick! It's no good. Cornelius and I have been indicted for heresy. It is evil. It is so evil. It is a bad, bad plan. Yes, yes it is a bad, bad plan. And hello, I am Michael, and I have come to you this week to tell you that if you do not start with God, you are wrong. Now, this is going to get good because today we're going to deal with the heretic in all of us. We are going to wade into the uh, deep waters of the philosophical, but I promise we're, we're not wading too terribly far simply because, oh, I hurt my brain. And, and that can happen if you get too far into the philosophical world. But today we do want to tackle the, uh, the modern love child of history, philosophy, and theistic ambivalence. And it goes by the name of secularism. You're going, what? We know this is evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you don't really know necessarily just how deep this evil can go and why it's so evil. And the reason I say that is because look at the world. The arguments that we're having, the arguments more importantly that we are not having. So this is what's going to become important. If you don't look at the world rightly and you don't see the uh, the sprouting of the seeds that is secularism, then I... Uh, there's no hope for you. We we are seeing in the world around us just the the orphaned offspring of this ridiculous worldview that really does have just just demonic origin. So, secularism is a worldview that stands at the end of the uh, the long march of history and the institutions, as we like to say. Uh, you can go all the way back to the medieval birth of uh, sacralism, go all the way through the Middle Ages. You get the uh, birth pains at the end of the High Middle Ages uh, that result in the Renaissance and the Reformation. Move all the way through the Enlightenment, Enlightenment with the emphasis on empiricism, rationalism, and pragmatism. Those, those are your three biggies. And you follow that through the Industrial Revolution and the birth of modern materialism. And you come now to the uh, Frankenstein's monster that is secularism. The modern worldview is one planted firmly outside the realm of any metaphysical or spiritual influence. Both things have been cast aside in the modern world in order to really justify this this abomination that we call secularism in a worldview. So where do we get these ideas and this, this really terminology? Excuse me. Well, in 1851, a British writer by the name of George Holyoke coined the term... And that's really kind of helpful, Uh, excuse me, because it tells you that this is a relatively new idea, but it does not have new roots. Secularism is an epistemology, which is the science of how we know things, that is agnostic at its core, and that's why we trace the roots like we do. This is a worldview that seeks to be devoid of religion and religious influence, which means by its very nature, it is a man-focused system. Now, typically, what that works itself out in is it holds to the tenets of what we call the innate goodness of humanity, that people are generally good and things corrupt them, and it leans heavily upon naturalism, which is the belief that the physical world and her laws are all that exist and govern life, and it typically also promotes utilitarian ideals and ethics. So, in other words, the idea that 
what is good for that person in that situation. What promotes utility is best. Now, as you can see, based on that simple little rundown, the Christians should have major, not minor, major problems with this worldview. Not because we can't deal with it, but because we have to deal with it seemingly at every single turn we take in this world. For starters, this is a worldview that denies the most basic of biblical concepts, which is creation. I mean, Genesis 1-1, go read that. It makes less than no effort to prove God. Moses just assumes the knowledge of the reality of the situation, and then he moves on. I mean, this is a duh. We say it's the reality of the situation because only the fool, Psalm 14, 1 through 3, would say that there is no God and actually deny his existence. Hence the reason why Scripture spends no time proving God. It simply just assumes him and moves on because to do otherwise would be ridiculous. So right off the bat, secularism has the wrong foundation. Excuse me. To start with anything other than God as the basis for knowledge, understanding, inquiry, whatever, is to start with the lesser created thing. And this is what we as Christians want to avoid. We're going to get to this more in a minute, but this is the, this is the primary attack. In what we're seeing in the world is they're starting with them, and this is the breakdown. So, but before we get into the correction, let's, let's finish the justification as to why we're calling this worldview heretical. Secularism, due to its wrong assumptions about man and the starting point of man, therefore it has no rational foundation with which to correctly define man. See, humanity is wicked and sinful. Scripture makes this clear. We're prone to great wickedness, as Genesis 6-5 points out. We have deceitful and evil hearts, as Jeremiah explains, 17-9. We need a guide in order to understand how to be righteous. Uh, this is Psalm 1, the compare and contrast between the righteous and the wicked of Psalm 1. To stand otherwise, which is to stand with secularism, is to stand outside the truth of the biblical revelation and to reject God. But beyond just this simple rejection, this epistemology is an all-out frontal assault in sinful humanity's war against God and his rule. Yes, sinful humanity is at war with God. This should be clear from history. I mean, notice how many heretics we can just keep bringing up throughout history and still are able to bring up. Sinful humanity is at war with God, and they are waging it daily. Read Romans 1, especially the end of the chapter, if you don't believe me. Now, third on our list, the secular mindset cannot comprehend, explain, or understand human evil. See, in theology, we call the problem of evil theodicy. We've written books to explain the concept and the application of the concept. I mean, this is easy. You can, you can go look it up. But let's just give us a prime example here. Genesis 4-7 is a prime example of where evil comes from. What does God tell Cain? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. This is where evil comes from. It comes from us. It's not outside of us. Jesus makes this clear in the, Matthew, if, in the Matthew 5 expansion of the law that he gives. Sin is not external to you. It is internal in its reality. It seeks to devour us because its father, Satan, is doing the exact same thing. This is what Peter warns about, 1 Peter 5, 8. 
only a biblically-based worldview with a sound and consistent hermeneutical foundation, meaning reading and understanding your Bible rightly, can account for evil and properly apply faithful living in the face of death and destruction in this world. Has to. Any other starting point, any other foundation, any other methodology is going to break. Lastly, for this, we have an issue with objectivity. Secularism, with utilitarian applications, cannot help but fall into the trap of subjectivity. If you don't believe me, again, look at the news. If naturalism is correct, these are the assumptions of secularism, if naturalism is correct and the material world and her laws are all that exist, that's it, there's nothing else, then evil is undefinable and therefore it is unknowable. I mean, imagine a world in which we are unable to call rape evil, where we can't call child molestation evil, where we can't call Hitler evil. That is the world secularism will ultimately create. It removes objective foundations and creates naturalism uh, really on steroids. I mean, if, if we're all just random molecules running around bumping into each other, then one molecule bump can't be more evil or less evil than another molecule bump. So if this collection of molecule bumps decided to rape that collection of molecule bumps, why is that wrong? Secularism with a naturalistic worldview has no means by which to condemn this. It makes it worse, though. If utilitarian ethics are fully implemented, we run the risk of arbitrary desires and wants replacing the solid mores of ethical certainty. See, this is part of the problem. Utilitarianism, by definition, leads to situational ethics because it is situational ethics. So truth, honesty, they're lost concepts because in this situation, honesty may benefit me, therefore it is good. In another situation, honesty may not benefit me, therefore it is not good. In this situation, not killing you may be a benefit, so it's good. In that situation, killing you might be a benefit, therefore it is Good. Not to mention we have the fact we have to determine what is a benefit and what is not a benefit. Utilitarianism, by definition, cannot give that, which means it is nothing but situational ethics. And when you descend into situational ethics, society is fractured. And once society is fractured, it is incapable of granting any moral or ethical certitude, and therefore it cannot help but descend into chaos. It it just can't. God alone is the anchor upon which human society depends. Without God, we will drift hopelessly into oblivion. We will. We have to. We have no choice. We no longer have an objective standard, a right or a wrong that we can look to, cling to, lean on, and be grounded in. (sighs) This leads us to the big insidiousness of secularism, and that's the problem of reality. You're going, huh? See, secularism has taken spiritual, connected beings and denied the reality out of hand. I mean, this is the, this is the modern world at work. We were made to worship. Psalm 150 instructs this. Worship. Why? Because you're supposed to. In the absence of the right worship of God, we 
will catch that. We will find something else to follow around like a lost puppy. This is Romans one in action once again. And if we're honest with ourselves, don't we really love worshiping us and our ideas best above everything? I mean, even the people of Israel, when they had the commands of God, what did Isaiah condemn them with? You reject the precepts of God and instead teach the commandments and teachings of men. Isaiah 29, 13 is what Jesus quotes when he condemns the same people. This becomes a black hole of worship. It's a, it's a circling of the drain that leads to the false worldview application that you're seeing now in secularism. And that false worldview is intersectionality. I mean, one, that should probably be its own episode. And I think Lou and I have addressed it shortly, but not fully in regard to other theological doctrines. But maybe one point we'll sit down and actually look at this in more in depth. But intersectionality, besides being an awesome Scrabble word, is a sociological web, you have to think of it like a spider web, designed to demonstrate the interconnectedness of humanity on the basis, catch this, of naturalistic traits. See, postmodernism, by its very nature, denies truth and fragments every society it touches. Once you deny truth, you enter into utilitarianism. Once you enter into utilitarianism, we have situational goodness. Once we have situational goodness, we have no means by which we have any objective connectivity because everyone is looking out for number one. Everyone, not some of them, all of them. Intersectionality fills this gap. It seeks to bring the society fragmented by postmodernism and bring it back together in a hierarchy based upon ethnicity, sexuality, financial status, height, you know, whatever. All of the base things of the world brought together, why? So they can spurn God, deny his law, and reject his ruling hand, while simultaneously attempting to remove our responsibility before him. What you're seeing with the birth of intersectionality filling the void of a postmodern secular society is, let me get a sip of water here, the biblical worldview and the negative lived out. It's Judges 21, 25. And there was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is literally what you're seeing day in and day out. That is important for us to know as Christians because that helps us with our correction. It helps us with our evaluation and seeing the problem. Again, the goal of doing this series is not that you become an expert on secularism or docetism or Valentinus or any of these other things. It's that you begin to see the patterns of thought that the false worldviews construct. And as you begin to see the patterns, you don't deal with the doctrines as they are, but you drill down to the foundations and attack them. This is important because the world isn't getting holier. It's getting worse. So, Especially in this case, we're going to take a lot of that historical theology that we have been doing, and we're going to do more of the worldview analysis because this is this secularism, the 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 tracing through of empiricism and pragmatism and all of the other isms that you see coming out of the Enlightenment, rationalism, materialism, out of the Industrial Revolution, all of these things combine, again, that's why we called it a Frankenstein's monster, into what you see in the secular worldview. It's an attempt to unify society's epistemology, but to do so without God. This was Darwin's goal. This was the, the 19th century agnostic 
uh, project. This was the goal of German liberal theology in the 19th century with, you know, your search for the historical Jesus was how do we do these things without God? So as Christians, our first corrective is starting with the obvious. What's our source of life? We as believers are dependent beings. We, we get this. I mean, our salvation is brought to us by God because we're dead sinners, as Romans 5 explains it. We know that that salvation comes upon incapable sinners as the result of God's grace alone. Read Ephesians 2. Again, read Romans 5. Read Romans 4. Read your New Testament. It'll do you good. But beyond that, we have to remember something else. It's not just believers who are dependent all of humanity is dependent upon God. From our very beginning, we only have life because God breathed it into us way back in the garden in Genesis 2-7. We know from Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, we only exist because of the creative forming and building done by God, his laying out of humanity according to Jeremiah. Therefore, any worldview or epistemological system that doesn't start with God will fail. If he's removed from the foundation, the house crumbles. This is literally the parable of Jesus in Luke 6 lived out in vivid detail. God has weighed and measured this universe, as he reminds you in Job 38. We must recognize this lest we fall. The fallen mind is incapable of understanding these truths, and we as Christians, girded with the thoughts of Christ, given the mind of God, 1 Corinthians 2, must bear this truth in the world. So, the starting point is dealing with the source of life for these people. Where did they come from? And then attacking outward. You have to get them to admit that their worldview doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have a foundation. It doesn't have an explanation for the things that they're railing against. So I want justice. I want righteousness. I want peace. Define them. What does it look like? in a non-subjective way. Because the Christian, we can. We can define those things as resting in God, as righteous judgment brought by the just judge, as peace against, as opposed to the enmity of God against sin. Peace as opposed to our enmity with the world because we're living at peace with all men, seeking their good and their righteousness. See, we can do this. They can't. We have to expose the nakedness of their worldview so that they will seek the right one. See, this means we have to critique what we call the a priori or the foundational beliefs of secularism. We've been disciplined, or we need to be disciplined. We've been disciplined too much in the world. We need to be disciplined to see past the arguments over race, equality, sexual identity, financial systems. We have to argue in accordance with the spirits that are at work within the world. In other words, see the rejection of God's law and his truth and respond accordingly. So you're like, okay, that, that sounds great, but what, what does that look like, dude? Well, instead of discussions on race, like, because that's not happening anywhere in the world, we look at the doctrine of humanity in line with our fallenness, Romans 3.23 is a quote of Psalm 14, and the impending judgment we will incur, things like Ecclesiastes 12. What does Solomon say? Doesn't matter what you got, doesn't matter what you don't got, you're going to face God in judgment. Be prepared for that day. Live in righteousness. <gasps> but I can't live in righteousness. See, now we're having a gospel conversation because we've defined righteousness as following God. Make the world define righteousness objectively. See, only then can we come to the true agreement on peace. We have to focus less on artificial, yes, artificial, 
outward identity, how tall you are, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you think you're something else, in which case I'm not even going to go there right now, whether you're black, white, brown, orange, red, green, I don't even care. It doesn't matter. It's an artificial outward demarcating line. We have to truly focus on righteous living, thinking God's thoughts after him, as Paul applied Romans 12, the application of focusing on Christ from Hebrews 12. In other words, I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're Indian. I don't care if you're Native American. I don't care if you're green and you walk on your hands. I care that you seek after righteousness and that your soul is right with God. And here's why that matters. If my soul is right with God and I'm seeking righteousness and I'm seeking to live at peace with all people, then I will treat you justly, righteously, and good. Whether you are brown, green, whatever, it does not matter. Instead of arguing over the world's understanding of her systems, financial, governmental, legal, we want biblical definitions of relationships, starting with foundational relationships like Genesis 2, 24 and 25. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Imagine how much different society would be if they actually had a biblical definition of marriage. And once we've done that, we now serve in his kingdom, a la Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema, teaching these things as we go about, as we walk, as we talk, as we sit, as we rise. Yes, there's a broken legal system. It's being run by broken people. Yes, it's a broken governmental system. It's being governed by broken people. Yes, there's a broken criminal justice system. It's being run by broken people. Want to fix the system? Orient it towards God. How do I do that? By orienting the people inside the system towards God. See, then we function as God has ordained. We're glorifying him and him alone in everything. So that's 1 Corinthians 10.31, Colossians 3.17. That's functioning rightly in the sight of God, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, Ephesians 4. Just read Ephesians, it'll do you good. All of these things work themselves out when the heart is in alignment with God because then the soul is secure, the mind is transformed, and the actions follow in line. This is the conversation that is not being had in the world. We're so busy trying to answer the demands of the mob that we don't even realize that the mob has no clothes. They are the naked emperor, and we're acting like they've put on a James Bond suit and are running around all suave and debonair-like. No, they're naked and foolish. We need to point this out so that when we show up with the actual cloaks and the actual suits and the actual coverings, we're not covering sin a la Adam and Eve. We're redeeming from sin the way God did when he made the covering of an animal. We're redeeming from sin the way that God did with the blood of the firstborn. We're redeeming from sin the way that God has done in Christ. Rather than hiding it, rather than just painting over it, we are removing it rightly because God is removing it from our hearts. So, how do we do this? We start by being a people out of time. This is one of the things we've lost in the modern world. We have to get out of touch with modern sensibilities, slights, insults, and understandings. We are too plugged in and knowledgeable about the world. See, it's, what I mean by that is not knowledgeable as in what we're doing. We're, we're acknowledging so that we can refute and deal with. No, 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 no. We're in touch in that we live like this. We think like this so that when something else comes along, we're like, uh, what, what is that? 
We have to get out of this. To our shame, we are way too often comfortable waiting in the waters of the secular world. And we live there and we think it's all well and good until we recognize all of a sudden that we're in over our head and suddenly the fangs of the demonic ancestry of this worldview show itself and we have nowhere to run or hide. This is the problem of the church and the Christian when we get too comfortable with our culture. We shouldn't be comfortable with our culture because our culture should be different. We should actively be seeking to be the people of God, set apart, not living for this world the way Peter commands, 1 Peter 2. We want to walk with Paul in righteousness, praying, living, trusting, like 1 Thessalonians 5 commands, living simply according to what God has commanded and commended in all things exposing the darkness of society, Ephesians 5.11, have no participation with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Don't wallow in the dark, shine the light. By doing this, we deny oxygen to the fire that is the secular worldview. All the while, we are trusting in God for our security, for our future, because we know what? We know he will secure us, he will bring righteousness to all the unlawful deeds under heaven, and we will see that security fulfilled, not here, but in the presence of a God who has redeemed us. See, that's the focus that we've lost. Excuse me. That's the the focus and hope for eternity that we've lost. It's gone. We live too much for here, and so we align with here, and then when the world goes off its rails, we don't know what happened because we were doing fine in it, but we didn't. Well, no, you have an anchor. They don't. You were just going along the same parallel track. What we need to do is destroy their track and bring them over to ours. How do we do that? By destroying the godless world system that they're operating in and exposing its futility so that they will then see the gracious goodness of God, turn to him in repentance and faith, and be transformed so that they too will walk in a newness of life. Then and only then does the worldview change and does the society build itself rightly upon the foundation that is God. Fun, huh? Welcome to secularism in a nutshell. So what have we learned today, children? First of all, God makes the rules. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the upholder. We are dependent beings by nature. I don't care what you say or think. You are dependent upon God. And we must be perpetually vigilant as God's people. If we are not those things, we will fall into the snare of this world and we will not be transformed, but we will be deformed by the sin and corruption that we have herein. So... I have good news. Hopefully before this week is out, we will get Lou back and he and I are going to do a a deep dive into some of the things of the world from a theological lens. It'll be fun because Lou always brings an awesome perspective that I don't think about. So hopefully we'll get back to doing that on a regular basis Uh, very, very soon. We'll continue the uh, Little Heretic side podcast and and maybe have a third thing launching. Ooh, go on with our bad sales. Look at us actually adding content and getting stuff out here so that you guys can function and live in a practical world where you're applying our theology day in and day out. This is kind of what we're seeking to do. 
Uh, hopefully journal articles for June go out this week. Still waiting on a couple of those to come in. When I get those, journal will go out. And if you have not seen the past issues of that and want to check it out, practicaltheologyministries.com. Click on journal. You can read past episodes. You can also see the player over there if you click on podcast and see all the past episodes if you haven't downloaded them. I encourage you to do so, including uh, worship services from Calvary Baptist, where you are welcome to join and worship with us um, on Linden Road at Calvary Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois, Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. We're here. Hopefully in the next couple weeks we'll be relaunching our Bible studies on Sunday mornings, basically our Sunday school, picking back up our March Through Scripture. Um, all of that stuff is available. Blog posts are also on the website. You can find us all of our good information there, so check that out. If you have any questions, info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Send any questions you might have. Be glad to answer them. And in the meantime, uh, read your Bible. It'll do you good. God bless.